Hi and welcome to The Cloud Show. My name is Jez Back and with me is my new co-host, Steve Chambers. Hi! Hello Jez, thanks for inviting me on. Um, in this show, we're going to have a look at some of the key news and some of the hot technology, especially in the cloud industry, and we're going to lift a lid and a peek inside. Excellent. Well, in each episode, we take a look at a specific area to discuss, and this week, we're all about cloud and, con and containers. Now, joining us is a venerable guest who's an expert in the field to get their insight, and they're going to share their knowledge with us. Yep, and we'd love you to be involved, so please do talk to us on social media. It'd be great to hear your opinions. We're on Twitter with the handle at Disruptive Live and compare the cloud. And don't forget to use the hashtag, the cloud show. So let's get on with the show. Firstly, I'd like to, I'd like to introduce our guest. We have Stephen Bort. He's a public cloud infrastructure as a service specialist at Oracle. Welcome, Stephen. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So for those people who are not quite so familiar, what is a public cloud infrastructure as a service specialist? So I look after our public cloud and container-native platform in Oracle. Yep. Uh, and basically what that means is I talk to customers about what we do, what we have, and kind of technologies that are involved. And kind of shape them and show them how, how to go and make containers a beautiful place. Indeed. And you've got a, you've got a virtual machine background, now you're doing containers, and I think that's going to come in handy in this uh, discussion today. Oh, yeah, I think we'll have a bit of sport with that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay. But I think we should have a quick look at the news before we get into that. Yep, and there has been some big news. So the cloud computing arm of Alibaba Group, uh, the Alibaba Cloud, has now launched an EMEA ecosystem partner program to help strengthen collaboration between the firm's customers and partners in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. So this is big news with Alibaba coming to Europe, Middle East and Africa. The program is going to focus on four key areas. First of all, we're going to develop digital transformation in targeted vertical industries. The next thing, and I think this is really important, is supporting talent development around Alibaba Cloud in EMEA, which is really important. And they're also going to be advancing technology innovation and, crucially, enhancing marketplaces around their cloud. So they've got some big names, Intel, Accenture, HashiCorp, Ecritel, Altran, Micropol, and LinkBinet, some long, long list of names, all these leading industry players that are going to be among, amongst the initial participants in the ecosystem partner program. Additionally, and this is a key point, the, um, the world's biggest startup campus, Station F, has incorporated this program in its exclusive perks for their 1,000 startups. So the general manager of Alibaba Cloud, Yeming Wang, offered some more details on the company's new program, and he said, our goal in EMEA is to bring powerful and elastic cloud services to our customers and create a well-connected, comprehensive ecosystem with our partners to accelerate cloud technology development in the regional cloud industry. So as a global cloud industry leader, Alibaba Cloud brings to EMEA cutting-edge cloud technologies, experience and expertise to drive innovations across various verticals. They aim to empower their customers as they undergo their own digital transformation, which will greatly improve those customers' business efficiency, their ability to provide a positive experience for their customers. So the program was announced at the Ecosystem EMEA, uh, Summit in EMEA in 2018, hosted by Alibaba Cloud at Station F in Paris. That one-day summit brought together almost 400 representatives from private enterprises, public institutions, technology, technology developers, channel partners and startups, so big, big list. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it before on mm. this show, yeah, the rise of Alibaba and you know, the sleeping dragon that no one's ever noticed, never heard of, and then suddenly bursting on the marketplace in various places around the world. And it looks like they're now hissing up in me. I mean, what, what's your take, Stephen? So I think, I think it's good. I think it's good for everyone, right? The, mm. the kind of uh, drive of putting more noise into the market, everyone kind of pushing an ecosystem, everyone 
pulling forward to kind of get public cloud into the mm. kind of market for everyone, right? Yeah. And competition's good for everybody as far as I'm concerned. Well, I, I think that's the, 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 the really interesting part of this is that everyone said that the, the big cloud wars are over. This kind of feels like this is yeah. the second round again where, where people haven't noticed actually how huge Alibaba is in the Western world. Yeah, and, and then so now they're arriving into Western markets, and I'm going, well, hang on, these guys are you know, genuinely on the on the scale of the big three, mm-hmm. you know, public cloud providers. It's kind of, yeah. I think there's going to be another another cloud wars moment coming. Yeah, there's, you know, the, the the talent program I think is important. You know, anybody that works in cloud today knows there's a bit of a talent crisis out there. Oh yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see what certifications and training they do. It's going to be interesting to see the traction as well with. You know, when we're on Twitter and we're watching people talking around Oracle and, and AWS and Azure, what's their traction going to be with the practitioners? And it looks like the program they're putting in place is going to help drive that. Yeah, and, and not only that, I think the really sort of, the, the, the different dynamic they're bringing to this is saying, well, actually, they're not going to do an Amazon Web Services and have 250,000 SKUs on their book. They're not going to make really complicated services with really complicated you know, uh, pricing programs mm-hmm. like other organizations who remain nameless, you know, all of those sort of things. Actually, they, they seem to have simplified and, and made quite clear buckets of things mm-hmm. around where people's skills and, and talent can be developed. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there is specialization, but it's in a, a very clear part of the ship. And I think that's, that's going to be a good differentiator for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're going to be focusing on the marketplace, that's another key thing. So helping businesses do business on top of the cloud, so it's not just a technology thing. Yeah. It's very much how can we all grow business together, make money together. You know, I mean, that whole platform play is really important, you know, how you know, the marketplace in other clouds really taking off. You know, if you look at migrations, you know, you get those six hours of migrations. One of them is repurchasing, which is using cloud marketplaces. So instead of running your own email, you have to rent it from a marketplace, right? So it's going to be really fascinating to see what they launch. Yeah, I mean, what, what was your say? I mean, what, do you think that the that, that marketplace that's going to do, you know with Alibaba doing what they're doing at the moment is that going to disrupt the marketplace? Do you think? You know, we've got AWS marketplace, you've got you know, all the other different ones. Do you think that's going to sort of eat someone's lunch a bit? I think it depends how much they incentivize partners to do business with them. Right, yeah. that's what's going to attract. I mean, if you look at other marketplaces, there are a lot of incentives for um, you know providers to get 10% rebate on this and you know it's and it's really an interesting growing area I mean repurchasing as part of, you know if you look at the the analysis from Forrester repurchasing was like 5% of migrations but it's rapidly growing yeah. you know, so what, what's your take no I'd agree I think it depends who they get in their marketplace if they can differentiate themselves a little bit you know, in terms of some of the content there and if they make it uh, a good place to be for those partners in that marketplace, then I think we stand a good chance. And what do you think, you know, if you, if you look at some, some folks that are using cloud today, you know, if they're a Microsoft, Microsoft shop, they'll tend to use Azure. If they're a Linux startup, they'll tend to use AWS. Now, I, I'm not a huge believer in that because I think you can run Linux really well on Azure and, you know, and it's the same if I'm an Oracle shop, I'm probably going to use Oracle. Do you th- who do you think might, why would someone choose Alibaba Cloud? Do you, do you think it'd be someone to say, well, you know, I've been using these guys, but I want, to sh- I want a multi-cloud approach? So I want to balance it. I think I think we're going to see a bit of a bit of both. I think mm-hmm. we're going to see them go after certain key customers, mm-hmm. right, right. And, and make a play for certain. Maybe well, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe they're going for a kind of SMB to start with. Maybe they've got a big force that's going to come and just try and disrupt enterprise mm-hmm. customers. Right. I think they stand a good play for kind of heterogeneous workloads. Mm-hmm. 
right? As you've said, mm. you know, Microsoft tends to be Microsoft y, mm -hmm. Oracle tends to be Oracle, yeah. right? I, I agree, I don't necessarily think that's the right thing. I think most large cloud providers would pretty much take most people's workloads, yeah. or take, right? Um, and I think it depends partially on their price point, partially on their service catalog, right? Well, so, so this is where I was going to go with this. I, I think they're going to go quite heavy on price. But interestingly, and this is my controversial opinion on this one, I reckon they're going to be hunting the, uh, the very early adopters, the people who have been around the boy, got the scars on their back from where they said early days AWS or early days GCP, what, you know, what, you know, whichever flavor they went for, that they're all just a bit fed up. Mm. And, but now they want something completely different mm. and at a great price point. And mm. Alibaba will sit and go, hi. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that'll be a way how they'll penetrate into the, the Umea market. There's also, I think, the other area they're going to really go for is for some reason in the Middle East and Africa, the public cloud providers, they have got a foothold, don't get me wrong, I'm mm. not saying they haven't got a foothold, but it's not kind of as a ubiquitous. Mm. Yeah. And I reckon, I reckon there's, you know, they're going to go in hard in that area and really yeah. try and clear up in those markets. Yeah. But where the Chinese as a nation have invested hugely in Africa. Yeah. You know, so there is goodwill there, there's political goodwill. That's a really good point. So, yeah. That's kind of where I'm at. Anyway, that's enough on the news. I think it's time we moved on. So let's go and talk about today's main topic, which is cloud and containers. Now, at the moment, cloud containers are a hot topic in technology and security in particular. Now, all the world's top technology companies, including the likes of Microsoft and Google and Facebook, all use them. Although it's still early days, containers are seeing an increase of use in production environments. And they promise a streamlined, easy to deploy, secure method of implementing specific infrastructure requirements. And they also offer an alternative to virtual machines. Now the key differentiator with containers is a minimalist nature to their deployment. Now unlike virtual machines, they don't need a full operating system to be installed within the container itself. In fact, they don't need to be a virtual copy of the host server hardware. Containers are able to operate to the minimum amount of resources to perform the tasks they were designed for, and that means they can just grab a few pieces of software, libraries, and the basics of an operating system, and off it goes. Now, this results in two or three times as many containers being able to be deployed on a server than a virtual machine. Now, cloud containers are also very portable. Once a container has been created, it can be deployed to different servers very, very easily, if you do them correctly. Now, from a software lifecycle perspective, this is a great thing, right? Containers can be copied to create development, tests, integration, and live environments really quickly, and they don't require the usual configuration. Now, from a software and a security testing perspective, this also has a big advantage because it ensures the underlying operating system is not causing a difference in the test results. Now, one downside of containers is the problem of splitting your virtualization into lots and lots of smaller chunks. When there's just a few containers involved, you know, the advantages are clear because you know exactly what configuration you're deploying, where. However, if you fully invest in containers, it's quite possible and very easy to have so many containers all over the place, it becomes nearly impossible to manage. You know, problems of container management are a real common complaint, even in container management systems such as Docker. Now, flipping the coin a bit, virtual machines are generally considered to be easy to manage primarily because there's significantly fewer virtual machines compared to containers. So their answer, uh, sorry, are they the answer or just another headache? Well, let's find out. So come on, Steve, you know, do, do you first of all agree, you know, containers, they're just like virtual machines, right? Or are they something a bit different? 
So I think there's something a bit different, right? And to some of the points you've already made, right? The aim of, the aim of a container is realistically to break down that workload and to be able to have lots more easy to manage pieces. Yeah. Right? And you get nice things like reuse of service and things like that, depending on how you, you know, orchestrate and look after the life cycle of your container. Right? I think I think we're in a position compared to VMs, where VMs were like five, six years ago, where everyone complained about, you know, virtual machines sprawl and all that kind of stuff. And and technology will catch up, right? And we're, we're probably going to end up talking about Kubernetes at some point in this discussion, <laughs> right? Uh, and I think they're the kind of things we need to start thinking about as we move Well, well let, let us go there straight away. Right. Because, so, I mean, I, I love myth busting. Come on then. For the people, so, so we have a lot of people who are in business who do technology as viewers. What's the difference between Kubernetes and containers? Because there is a difference. So, Kubernetes is just a container orchestration engine, right? It, it still uses Docker. There's still the containers that people have probably grown up playing with in the last, you know, six, nine, 12 months, right? It doesn't do anything other than orchestration, and that's where it helps you, right? Yeah. So does it, does it monitor containers? Because I would imagine if you come from a virtual machine kind of world, you know, we've got a similar background. You'll have your tools that you would use to monitor the lifecycle, restart. Does, does Kubernetes take that over? Or is it only part of the answer? It's part of the answer, right. I think. And, and that, the kind of monitoring and capacity kind of characteristics of what people are used to from virtual machines, I think is where, where we need a bit more investment you know, in terms of technology. Yeah, they right. sound quite ephemeral, these containers, just, just listening to the descriptions. You know, are they short-lived or do they run for a long time like virtual machines? Or well, does it depend? Or? So that kind of depends, and that's one of the, kind of tends to be one of the discussions around containers, right? The aim is that they are ephemeral, right? Mm. You know, you can start them, they just die, they get restarted, right? Which is great for those kind of workloads where you can do that kind of thing. But what happens if you want to run database? Right? Database yep. is not an ephemeral kind of technology, and it's the kind of thing where you want protection around that. It tends to be your crown jewels, or at least the data in there is important, right? And so there needs to be, you know, thought and work that goes into how we do those kind of things as well. You're making me think of stateful and stateless things now. Oh, yeah, we you know. know. <laughs> <laughs> Back to pets and cattle. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it feels yeah, like yeah, yeah. Pizza as a service. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, but you're right. So. Again, I always kind of look at containers as being one of those tension technologies where on their own, they're absolutely fine. But actually, when you then put it into part of the mix and actually in the stack of your, your technology stack of any organization, there's got to be trade-offs. Mm. And there, you know, there will be a tension between things like how you manage your data with how you deploy containers. And there is an interface thing. So I think mm. that there is an interesting tension that needs to be managed there. So who's, who's usually the, the chief protagonist when it comes to containers? Is it the developer? Is it the traditional infrastructure person? Does so it... I, tend, I tend to find, right, you know, my conversations with, with people, is they're born out of the developer, right? Because they get a lot more control and flexibility. They don't have to go to traditional, I'll use that horrible phrase, traditional IT, yeah. right? And say, I need a virtual machine, I'm gonna put all this stuff in it, right? Ultimately, if he's in control of his container, he goes, well, I know what I want. I'm, I'm going to write what I want. I just need to be able to run it. So from an IT perspective, that potentially mm. gives them some headache. It's a new technology to them. Back to your point about, well, they're used to monitoring VMs and how they deploy VMs and the lifecycle of a VM and 
how they potentially cross-charge for them and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, which is much harder if, you know, as an IT operator, you need to do that kind of work. So it's interesting, because I, I, I agree with you, but I'm also seeing another angle. And so all the public cloud providers tapped into the idea that there are people in business who are actually now beginning to buy and consume public cloud services beyond traditional IT. Mm -hmm. And so you've ended up having business analysts who've become accidental technologists who mm -hmm. built these things. And now they're the guys and girls who are going, well, I want to do this in a better way. And, and they're looking for almost uh, consumable, disposable workloads mm -hmm. of where they, they can knock something together really quickly, run whatever they need to do, and then they might keep it in a bit of, bit of a repository, not like a traditional one, but you know, they've got a little bucket of stuff somewhere which they pull upon, or they just literally just throw it away. Mm. And I'm seeing demand from business actually of, of those sort of things. And get some really, you know, people who think, where do you suddenly become the container expert? Where, where, where do you suddenly become mm. the workload expert? But they are coming from the business. So I think that's another angle where, where they're coming from. Mm. No, I agree. And, um, I remember one famous uh, statement I heard from a customer who was a data scientist and you know they wanted to use containers in the cloud and, and this guy said I'm, I'm a data scientist not a cloud scientist but I'm having to be this expert to do all this technology so I think that's a very real thing. So, I want, I want to, so, so now we've sort of kind of talked about what containers are we've, we've just touched about business mm -hmm. I mean why do you think businesses should care about it? So I think one of the main things for them is and I mean part of it is how they deliver service, right? So, you know, we all saw virtual machines improve productivity, stuff gets delivered quicker, time to market is lower, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And one could argue that exactly the same comments apply from a container perspective, right? I mean, you made a good point before. It's relatively easy for the business to pick this kind of stuff up in a public cloud, particularly, right? Okay. There's a lot of services around in everyone's public cloud, right, to make that relatively easy to do for someone who's not a technologist. Right? And, and that wrap gives them control and, and all those kind of things. But I mean, it's the same thing. You get kind of much more reuse. Things can be built much quicker, but things can also be failed much faster. So you get nice fail fast models, right? In VMs, you could do it, but the time to rebuild the VM, you know, again, is much shorter now we're talking about containers. It's, it's amazing how quickly we've forgotten how long it used to be to actually go build a physical server. <laughs> right, and then and then yeah. and then fail fast on that. <laughs> you know? yeah. So yeah. two weeks later, so, so it, it is relative, something. right? Yeah. This is relative. Yeah. Do you um, do you also think that you know from from your position, you know, understanding the inside of a cloud, do you do you think from a business perspective, maybe software companies are going to start seeing containers as the unit of of shipment, or you know, do, yeah, do you I see do, that? I do, and I think part of that comes down to how progressive is the software company? And ultimately, what's the demand on them, right? Because software companies don't go and invest time and effort to build something that they don't think anybody wants. Yeah. Right? I mean, you know, from, from my perspective, we're already doing that work, right? right. So we're already containerizing Oracle products, hmm. for example. Well, I think everybody we see, is, aren't we? We see a demand, yeah. you know. And, and part of that is because not everybody builds anew when they start a container journey, right? It's not all brand new software development, right? Or, or also, obviously, no one wants to buy and build this mm. stuff new. Yeah, you know, they just want to have it something on the shelf. They can deploy it quickly, get on with it, because they're out. They're after business value yep. and outcomes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I think indeed. that's where the conversation's shifting. Yes. So, you know, it's really interesting when you were talking about that. You know, we talked about sort of public cloud providers and the rest of it. I mean, one of the things. That you get that gets talked about quite a lot is vendor lock in and cloud lock in. You say, right, okay, 
containers are going to stop and solve all of your cloud lock-in problems. Discuss. Uh, I mean, what's your take? I mean, I'm, I'm not so convinced, but go on. Where, where, where so you... I think at their core, as you said, you know, they are relatively portable. Hmm. For some of the reasons we've discussed around management, deployment, lifecycle of them, you tend to look at something else, and particularly in public cloud, right? Yeah. Public cloud vendors have built services to do all that, and that I think where is where it becomes slightly more difficult, right? Your, your container is portable, but the kind of wrap you put around it as a right. business user yeah. or as someone who wants to deploy some stuff gets tied into their platform that you start. And that's what we absolutely agree because when you do something in a certain flavor, then you know, guess what? You're you're, you're creating a habit. So I mean, so. It sounds like you're saying, so the, the, the container can be uh, portable, but the runtime, so is there something people can do, you know, if, if I'm looking at two clouds and I want to use containers, is there something I can do to make sure I can run them on either of those, you know, do I have to use any special well, software? Well, to make or? it as neutral as possible. Yeah, right? to make yeah. it as cloud well, neutral, I think, yeah. I think that decision's kind of been made for us all, right? Kubernetes has won that war, we're going to talk about it again. But <laughs> <laughs> I sound like I should be, you know, <laughs> something. But no, I think, um, I think everyone's kind of realised that Kubernetes has won that war for the kind of container interoperability on clouds, right? And, and the value for everyone who delivers that service isn't that they run Kubernetes. Yeah. Right. The value is everything they put on top of that. So, you know, if you've got a cloud that runs Kubernetes, I've got one. In theory, we can kind of just mm -hmm. deploy stuff. You know, my stuff goes on yours, yours goes on mine. Right. The value to the business is the stuff that gets wrapped around that monitoring, billing, you know, security, all yeah. those kind of things. Well, so, so this this is where, where my slightly cynical part comes out again. <laughs> you know, the, way back when everyone talks about, oh, I can run MySQL on a Microsoft server, but I can also run MySQL in cloud, private cloud. This is when this, this you know, when Microsoft MySQL started coming really big onto the scene for that, that sort of thing. And then everyone said, oh, but actually, no, you can now do it on public clouds. Oh, now you can do an Aurora in AWS. And it's all compatible, right? <laughs> mm, broadly, yes. But it's the detail. The devil is in the detail here, isn't it? And I think well, that's the. And I, I completely agree. It's, it's you know, you just need to be conscious of how your public cloud provider, particularly, has implemented their, yeah, their infrastructure that runs on what looks like the same as someone else. So uh, yeah, last question before we move on to the really serious bit. But yeah, how how do you make the best of containers? So so we talked about non-techie people, or rather people who are perhaps not so experienced and, and you know, got the really fine skills. How, how's the best way about going, going ahead and automating these things or making them easier for people other than just pure Kubernetes? I mean, what other techniques are, can people think about? Well, I suppose you can look at your whole kind of pipeline for building them in the first place, right? So yeah. I, think, I think one of the things people need to be conscious of is that you, know, you still need to think about security you still need to think about the life cycle of them, right? Mm. And, and you still want to be looking at some standards for building those. And now they might come from IT, they might come from the best practices of your public cloud vendor, right? But you need to look at how do you get stuff in, what do you do with it so when it's there, and just manage the life cycle of those. Right? So, so on the one hand, it sounds like there's this almost utopian future of containers to solve all the problems, but it sounds like you still need to be pretty good <laughs> doing cloud and knowing those technologies, right? But yeah, absolutely. I, I, this is something which is a long frustration for me. But here's the, here's the thing about cloud. It forces good IT practice, whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. 
And the, you know, it, containers is just yet another extension of that. Mm. I think that container sprawl might be interesting. I can, I can just imagine someone who's not a real deeply technical person, someone like an analyst, who wants just to get something done, they open up ports to the internet, <laughs> leave it running. Yeah. You know, I could just imagine that happening. So, mm. Oh, container sprawl with auto-scaling on burst. Oh, it's just, These things just building out, building out, running more and more workloads for absolutely no value whatsoever. Oh, yeah, that's happened. Is it kind of leaning towards, I don't want to say the microservices word, but there it is. You know, if we're talking about decomposing applications into containers and these things are ephemeral, you know, I read a really good post-mortem uh, from Monzo Bank, who've got that architecture, microservice architecture, use containers, and they had cascading failures. It was a fascinating post-mortem, but I'm thinking, you know, you need to be really good at engineering to understand that, right? So, yeah. Yeah, and I think I think microservices, you know, and serverless as well, right? If you want to go even one step further, yeah. kind of, they're, they're all natural extensions of all the stuff we've well, been talking about. It's just moving up the stack. Indeed. That's all it is. Yep. But but that's fine if you're greenfield and you can kind of, you know, like you like Monzo and you're just building something afresh, right? You start with the best modern thing because that's what you can manage and deal with, right? For a lot of a lot of people, we all go talk to, right? They're not there. And, mm. and being able to kind of go, oh, microservices, that's a great idea. We're back to the whole discussion of what you do about things gotcha. that are stateful, right? Gotcha. Yeah. So if you've got an app, to, guess what you're saying? If you've got an app today, uh, it's been around for a few years, you're not just going to switch to containers all of a sudden, right? It's going to be There's quite a journey. Yeah, that's a journey. But that's the thing, is that technology is a cyclical journey. It's just that the, 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 the landscapes and the sceneries have just changed a little bit that the high-rise blocks got a bit higher every time you go around it <laughs> that's what we'll see right but i'm going to call it stop there because that's the serious bit done now is the really uh the really important bit which is the world famous cloud sci-fi quiz five questions shout out if you know the answer here we go now in what was written in large letters on the cover of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy don't panic Yes, excellent. One, five. You're now on equal pegging with, with Steve here. So one yeah. more and I'm, I'm already ahead. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, in Frank Herbert's classic Dune, Spice was mined on the planet Arrakis. But by what other name was Spice known as? Ooh. That I don't know the answer to. Oh, Melange. There you go. Which British comic actor played Scotty the engineer aboard the Enterprise in the later versions of Star Trek from 2009 onwards. Is it Simon Peck? Yes! yes. Excellent. Two. Two out of five. The shame. Oh, the shame. <laughs> okay. Then I'll throw back to the 80s now. In which movie did David Bowie appear as Jareth the Goblin King? I'm gonna go with Labyrinth. Oh, I love it! Good Brilliant! Very three, good. Five, eight, nine, eight, eight, three out of five. Final question. During the TV series Battlestar Galactica, the opponents of the humans, which in the later versions looked like looked like humans, what were they called? Cylons. Excellent! Four out of five. You joined the top spot with Stuart Evers from Telecom International. Of the highest scoring people. Well done. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Well, I think that was fun. What do you think? Well, I think it's really good. So you can get in touch with us on Twitter. Use the hashtag The Cloud Show if you want to discuss this topic or even something else. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. That's it for this show. Thanks very much to our guest, Stephen, Thank you, Steve. for joining us. Many thanks to you for watching, if indeed you still are.